0: we doing traders welcome and welcome to the SPACs attack let's get it started How we doing traders? Welcome and welcome to the SPACs attack where we talk everything SPACs and we got another great interview for you today. I'm super excited. We got Vicarious Surgical here right behind me and I'm super excited to get into that interview. But before then, of course, like always guys, let's get into our man, the biggest and name to the show, the Chrysopedia Chris Ketchy. What's up, man? How's the brains? Hey, what's going on, Mitch? How are we doing today? Hey, not too bad, not too bad. I hope you got your your morning smoothie in, or, or maybe a little coffee. It's Whatever that, gets it's you that going. That
1: caffeine. That caffeine.
0: Yeah, I, I know you're. I know you're a do type of guy. I'm a, so. I'm a do guy. Yeah, <laughs> can't blame you, man. Good morning. It's good to be with you again, like always. Um, before we get into the headlines, one thing I definitely wanted to say is if you didn't catch my man on last night on Money Money Mitch, you would have heard a lot of what we are thinking about the SPAC environment. A lot of times we don't get to exactly talk about this because we got so much on the plate. But check it out, guys. And one of the things that Chris will become kind of our our weekly SPAC expert that I'll try to reach out to, um, usually on a weekly basis so that we can touch some SPACs. And like always, guys, if you want to stick with SPACs attack, get in the newsletter. If you don't have the newsletter already, go down in the description right now. Zoltan would kill me if I didn't mention that. So I want to mention that. Give a shout out. And let's get into some headlines. Chris, what do you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. Looks like we have everyone starting to roll in, uh, joining us from the other stream. Um, so we'll give it another minute here just to to get the viewers transitioned over. But before we knock out those headlines, but yeah, a lot of a uh, so some notable you know upgrades, downgrades out there, news pieces, and then like Mitch said, we've got another interview today talking ticker D E H. Um, vicarious surgical with some big backers, so definitely looking forward to that. So, um, looks like everyone's over here now, so uh, yeah, we can go ahead and uh, take it back here. All right, guys, so headlines today up first, we have ACTC, so this is the SPAC that's taking Proterra public, so Proterra. Electric vans, electric buses. So news out that President Joe Biden will virtually tour uh, Proterra's factory for electric buses in Greenville. So Proterra, one of the first manufacturers of electric buses and supplying batteries for, for other items for electric school buses. They've already landed several deals across the U.S. Now getting that attention from Joe Biden Remember, there's a new, uh, you know, administrative goal of reaching zero emissions for transit and school buses by the year 2030. So the fact that Biden is virtually touring, you know, the Proterra plant today, I think, is a big positive. And we could see some new wins announced, you know, as early as today, um, you know, across the U.S. with with the partnership there. So keep an eye out on ACTC. Then some upgrades, downgrades out there. We have um, Bank of America initiating coverage of several EV plays. So up first we have Fisker FSR. So Bank of America initiating with a buy rating and a price target of thirty-one dollars. Um, so we had you know shares trading up double digits this morning. It looks like starting to give part of that back. Uh, I'm seeing up about seven percent today. One of the one of the big gainers out there, FSR. Um, I do own shares. Re- remember, this is one of the better performing stocks of 2021. Um, you know, as they they look towards that uh, Fisker Ocean uh, EV, that's already got over 15,000 reservations. Um, you know, according to Henrik Fisker. So yeah, great performance. The first half of 2021, it it has dropped off now, but Bank of America, you know, naming it one of its top EV plays, um, you know, so keep an eye out here. Maybe this is the start of another rally. And then Bank of America initiating coverage on Lordstown Motors, uh, ticker RIDE, with a neutral rating and a price target of $13. So RIDE, um, you know, a little out of favor here with Bank of America. And as you can see in that chart, you know, this thing has came crashing down now. Um, so not not a lot to add here, but Bank of America, you know, definitely uh stepping to the sidelines here um on RIDE with that neutral rating. And then the lastly we have G-O-E-V. So Bank of America initiating coverage on Canoe with an underperformed rating and a price target of $6. So if you look at the Canoe uh, stock price here, we have a new 52 week low. Um, I saw all the way down to, to 7.68. Prior to today, shares had traded between $8.05 to $24.90. Um, their rival VCVC VC taking re-automotive public just signed that deal with Magna International that could be taking away from from their thunder here and then also remember canoe was a rumor to be working with apple apple had even talked to the company last year but nothing has come forward on that um, you know with the apple car so really just not a lot of news out there with canoe and really out of favor and that that bank of america you know initiation of underperform and a price target of 6 today really hitting shares hard we have IPOE bringing SoFi public. This one was named a a top pick yesterday on CNBC um, during final picks. This is one, you know, as we talk long-term SPACs, you you know, this might be one worth looking at right now down at 15. SoFi, a, a fintech play, great, you know, brand awareness. They also have that Gemini platform, which is similar to a AWS back end. For, for some of these processors and some of these websites. So keep an eye out on IPOE. TTCF tattooed chef shares fell yesterday. It was revealed um, that their chief financial officer resigned last week. Um, so no new, you know, news out about that, but it has circulated around that that he resigned. And, you know, normally when a CFO resigns, It's seen, you know, unfavorably by the market. So keep an eye out on TTCF and AACQ, Origin Materials. um, We talked about them yesterday, signing that new partnership, but also they are adding veterans from Clorox and Procter & Gamble to the board of directors. So Origin Materials getting some, some big names here, the board of directors, as they look to, you know, take on in that sustainability market. Then, ARC funds yesterday, uh, you know, notable Kathy Wood had been buying SPAC. She actually sold yesterday. Um, so, the last time I remember her selling a, a stake in a SPAC was HIMS, H I M S, and she completely exited that position. So, this is a story worth watching. Yesterday, they sold shares of SPCE, Virgin Galactic, and, and ACIC, which is taking Archer public. They did add shares of SPFR, which I own. Uh, CMLF and RTP. Um, you know, so notable here that SPCE, which she does still own a, a sizable chunk across several ETFs, getting sold at a time when we're also seeing, you know, Richard Branson and Chamath sell partial stakes. Um, and then also seeing ACIC sold, but RTP added. So when we talk the electric vertical uh, takeoff and landing devices, it looks like maybe ARC is making its decision that um, RTP with Joby Aviation is going to be the long-term winner um, instead of Archer. So keep an eye out. Um, that email tonight you know, may clear some things up if there's more sales and buys across those names. Other movers, we have QS down 11% yesterday. MP down 11%. TTCF, which I hit on, was down 11%. And CLOV, Clover Health, up 10% yesterday. It did cross that $10 mark a couple times, but um, you know couldn't sustain it, uh, as I suspected. And now Clover Health shares down 9% today, back to 885. And then lastly, DMYD, the merger is approved with Genius Sports. Will trade as ticker GENI as early as tomorrow. Uh, Mitch, I know you're a you're a ticker guy, so we got Genius Sports with the, with the genie ticker, um, you know, starting tomorrow, and of course Genius Sports landing that exclusive NFL deal just in time, you know, before the company merges here. So a lot of exciting things for for Genius Sports here. What do you what do you think? G E N I genie, genie. What do you think of that ticker?
0: I love it. I love it. It was I was laughing because as you said, Mitch, I know you love tickers. Literally, I was back here like, oh, genie, genie!" <laughs> you know, I love it. I love it. I always pay attention to what the ticker name is, just like I paid attention to B fly with long view. You know, that, that was one that was out there for a while. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. But really guys, I think this is going to be an interesting chart. I'm going to pull up the DMYD chart right now really quickly take a look at it before we get into our great interview today. But really this this pullback towards this big support here, I'm I'm definitely interested. You know, I know some people have been talking about what specs have the value. To me, I really like this company. I think they're definitely leaders. You've been seeing nothing But good catalysts come out of this company, whether it be their new partnerships from, let's say, the NFL or when you saw the March Madness and and taking control there. Um, I think you're definitely seeing momentum in this company. If it gets down somewhere near 15s or below the 16 level, I definitely will be interested in DMYD. But soon I can't even say this anymore. Let's just say Genie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I, I know I'm watching that 15 level there. Um, you know, this is one I love long-term, Um, you know, a lot of positive things. Like you said, March Madness, the NCAA deal, now the NFL deal. And, you know, notable, I, I have an article out too, the NFL is actually going to own 5% of Genius Sports um af- as this deal goes through. So the NFL is fully invested here, right? And they, they want what's best for Genius Sports. And the the other thing is, The NFL signed three official uh, sports betting partners, uh, DraftKings, FanDuel, and Caesars Entertainment. All three of those companies committed to using the official data feed of the NFL, which of course is powered by Genius Sports. So, you you know, a big play there in the NFL already helping them, right? Kick in on those those deals. So I I think Genius Sports is exciting here. I want to see if we pull back more today or tomorrow with that changeover. But with that said, the company may also be front and center on CNBC and do some interviews this week. So we might actually see momentum into the later part of the week. Um, But time will tell if we get more of a pullback. But I am definitely watching that that 15 level for a long-term entry here. All right, Chris, before we get into
0: our interviews, one thing I wanted to talk about was... What is your interest in robotics, Chris? Have you have you thought about how robotics is going to come into play at least in our generation?
1: Yeah, you know it, it's crazy, right? Robotics have really taken over you know you know several industries with automation. I mean, I remember years ago right when, when the Roomba came out, right? The <laughs> the, the vacuum, the right? And and look at what that did, right? You know, it became a a household name, you know, Roomba. Everyone knew what it was. And now we have robotics, you know, powering warehouses, right, where you can, you know, grab packages, sort packages. You you know, all this stuff is done faster. And now we have exciting robotic technology also advancing, you know, the medical field. And, and, you know, we, we look at how, you know, medical field has grown over the years, uh, surgeries have become more precise. More lives can be saved, right? Because they're more precise. The doctors have the tools that they need. So, you know, excited that today we're, we're going to be talking to a robotics company, you know, that's trying to advance that further, right? By using robotics, um, you know, in surgery. So I, I know I'm excited to, to hear more um, of, about Vicarious Surgical. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's one thing that I I, I've definitely thought about since,
0: let's say, uh, even before when we were just starting to think about maybe uh, 3D printing organs. I had a friend that was going to school for uh, kind of medical engineering, and he was looking at, at certain things like robotics. And this was, I can tell you, this was about six, seven years ago, guys. So I should have been paying attention then. So maybe we'll pay attention now for our interview. So let's go ahead and let's get into our interview, Chris, into the next generation of robotics. Let's go ahead and bring on here our guest for the day and let's unlock some
1: specs. All right, guys, super excited. Another exclusive interview here on SPACs Attack. So joining us on the show today, we have Adam Sack, the co-CEO of Vicarious Surgical, and Donald Tang, the co-CEO of D8 Holdings. So Vicarious Surgical going public via SPAC merger with D8 Holdings. That's ticker D-E-H. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us on the show today.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having us.
0: Welcome on. Welcome on, guys. All right. So the way we'll work, we'll let Chris do some questions and I'll be back with some of my own.
1: All right, guys. So let's kick off here. You know, SPACs attack. We're, uh, uh, you know, focused on SPACs here. So um, we'll start with you here, Adam. So, you know, why the decision to, to go public via SPAC and, you know, was a traditional IPO uh, consideration?
2: Yeah, it's it's a very good question. It's one that we obviously spent a while internally discussing before we made the decision to to partner with Donald and D8. So I, I think there's two separate questions in there, right? There's why did we decide to go public and why a SPAC versus an IPO? Uh, from the decision to go public standpoint, I think that one was a fairly easy decision for us, was frankly, you know, always in our our plan for uh, at least a, a long time for, of the last seven years that we've been working on this company. Uh, and the, you know, it really comes down to combination of, of course, access to the capital markets, uh, to, to the public markets. But uh, m- more importantly, the, you know, the uh, uh, visibility that it gives us uh, we, uh, to the entire world, to potential hospital surgeons and patients. you know, It lets us essentially show what we're doing in detail to everybody and to get that level of credibility, everything from potential customers in the future to potential employees uh, for uh, as we grow our team from where it is today to many hundreds of people over the next two years. Uh, and then as far as the decision SPAC versus traditional IPO is concerned, that, that really comes down to what, you know, I, I think you've likely heard from a lot of other people about you know, the partnership with D8, with Donald, their ability to dive in, to do deep diligence into our company, to literally spend months uh, vetting, sending surgeons and, and physicians and advisors out to visit us, meeting with everyone in their network uh, and, and really then after they gain confidence doing an amount of diligence that isn't typically done in an IPO process, they can then stand on it, both both with their capital and their reputation in order to, to back this IPO.
1: Awesome. And then so Donald, turning to you, D8 Holdings here, you, you know you had plenty of opportunities to take you know a, a number of companies public with this SPAC what was it about Vicarious Surgical that really set it apart from, you know, other companies that you could have brought public here with
3: DEH? Yeah, Chris. Um, honestly, it was too good to pass out. You know, we uh, we initially set out looking at consumer deals and we put together a pretty strong board uh, to look at consumer deals. But uh, when I was shown uh, some videos of what Vicarious was working on, uh, it was it was mind blowing, to be honest. Uh, I I you know I I invest in healthcare. Uh, we have an incubator in biotech. Uh, I study computer science. I have a lot of friends in robotics. We use robotics in some of our portfolio companies that we're invested into. And uh, a surgical robot isn't supposed to do uh, what the vicarious robot is able to do. Right? That's not something that you typically see. And I was kind of shocked to, to, to see kind of the clips and I wanted to learn more. And so that's, that's kind of, that kind of was the starting point. Now, we were lucky that uh, there were a number of advisors that we could rely on the number of people that we knew in our network that could kind of go and test out the robot and really make sure that the core engineering kind of problems that needed to be solved were solved. And that really what was left was mostly execution, right? Getting the rough edges figured out, uh, make sure the product kind of uh, holds, make sure the interface works, but really the fundamental engineering and physical kind of R&D issues, right, were, were resolved. And we were able to do that. And just given where the state of the the market is in in, in surgery and, and in healthcare, uh, it's it's huge white space. So. It was frankly too good to be t- to turn down. And as part of our, our diligence, uh, I think you'll 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 notice that uh, we ended up adding a director to our to our board, uh, Dr. David Ho, who has a pretty strong kind of uh, 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 I guess uh, credibility in the healthcare space, but also an advisor, uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Cotto, who's a pretty renowned surgeon. And uh, you know, based on based on kind of their uh, their help understanding the opportunity, understanding kind of. The state of the robot, you know, we got very comfortable uh, with uh, with pursuing vicarious versus something else.
1: Awesome, and I'll, I'll stick with you, Donald. You know, the the pipe on this uh, deal, you, you know, looks exciting with some of those big names, right? We have, you know, Bill Gates, uh, Beckton Dickinson, Eric Schmidt, you know, and others. So, so Donald, you know, how were you able to get this deal done and also, you know, grab, you know, some of those important names here on the pipe of the
3: SPAC? Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're, we're, we're very lucky. Number one, I think Adam is a visionary founder, right? He has surrounded himself with a very strong team. You see a few of the, uh, the, the, the pictures of people on the team here. Uh, there is uh, a level of credibility here in the surgical robotics space with, you know, David Steika, formerly of RS, uh, Paul Hermes, you know, who ran the robotics program at Medtronic and, and a couple of others. Uh, and so number one, I think, um, you know, at, at first glance, you know, for any investor, this is something that you would want to look into more, uh, more closely. Uh, I mentioned kind of the demos of the product itself. It's it's pretty impressive, and you know it only takes a couple of minutes of a video to to, uh, to to understand that. I, I actually strongly suggest you know viewers to go to our website and take a look at some of these uh, these capabilities. Uh, that's that's number 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 two. Uh, number three, um, I, I think uh, I think yes, it is. It's been a tough environment for 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 pipes, but I think everyone understands that. Uh, this is a massive space with massive TAM, you know, trillions globally, to be honest, is being spent on healthcare, and uh, you look at the existing penetration of you know, legacy platforms, it's actually very, very low. So there are very well understood problems uh, and limitations of current systems that need to be addressed, and luckily, uh, Adam and his team have been able to engineer something using you know, modern technology, uh, using everything that's available today to really come up with a product that is, is much, much better. And I'm sure we'll ask him about the specifics of the uh, of the robot, but this is uh, this is something that is does not exist in the in the field today. We've looked at many other kind of potential uh, uh, you know challengers to the market, and it's uh, it's it's pretty unique.
1: Awesome, yeah. You know, Adam, let let's hear about Vicarious Surgical. So, you know, I've got some specific questions later on, but give us the big picture here. What what is Vicarious Surgical all about?
2: Yeah, so uh, obviously we're a surgical robotics company, but you know what, what it really comes down to for us is uh, is 7 years ago when we started full-time on this company, we we looked at the you know the industry of surgical robotics what exists today and and realized that there, there are a lot of shortcomings. So uh, today most surgical procedures are actually performed with open surgical technique. That that's the same way they've been performed for over a hundred years, where a surgeon will take a scalpel, just literally open up your abdominal cavity and, and reach in and operate. But unfortunately with open surgery, most of the injury comes from that incision, not from the work that's done on the organs inside of the abdomen. So that's where minimally invasive surgery comes in, where a surgeon will make three to five small incisions up to 1.5 centimeters across. And through those incisions, they insert these long slender instruments. The instruments pivot about the abdominal wall and triangulate to tissue inside the abdomen. But that triangulation and the pivoting causes a tremendous amount of difficulty to the surgeon. That being said, they, they overcome it and they, they do the best that they can because it's it's worth it, because it goes from 20% complication rates in the incision to 1%. Uh, that being said, it's it's it still, after 40 years, has not gained widespread adoption because with manual technique and with legacy surgical robots, the surgeon actually needs to create the kinematic profile, the motion profile of the robot for every procedure that they want to perform based on where they put the incision. It takes over 100 procedures to become proficient in setting up a legacy surgical robot. And those are procedures that are performed on people, practice that's done on people. So all of this has led to less than 50 percent minimally invasive adoption and actually only 3.2 percent adoption of legacy surgical robots after two decades on the market. So when when we started this company, we really said, okay, we need to take a step back and actually reinvent the way the actuators work so that we can have human like motion, all the joints of the surgeon's body inside of the abdomen. Uh, we, we've done that with uh, something that, that we call a decoupled actuator. So with legacy surgical robots, joint by joint, there is a coupling of forces and motion between e- each of the joints inside the, the robotic arm. That's why with just a wrist inside the abdomen. Legacy surgical robots have thick control cables that are millimeter in diameter and, and made out of steel. We've invented and patented a series of ways. To fully remove that coupling of motion, that's what enables for the first time ever through a 1.5 centimeter incision, two arms and a camera with nine degrees of freedom per arm. And those nine degrees of freedom are those wrists, elbows and shoulders that mimic the surgeon's body. We're creating an avatar for the surgeon inside of their patient.
1: Awesome. And then, you know, so Donald, uh, turning back to you, you mentioned, you know, that there's there's no real, you know, competition out there. So, you know, is that what really drew you in here, um, you know, to Vicarious? And then also, if you could touch on, and I'll let Adam too, but uh, first, Donald here, the the breakthrough designation by the FDA and how important that was in making the decision to, to grab Vicarious here with the SPAC deal.
3: Yeah, I think the, the breakthrough designation is quite important, and uh, I'll let Adam talk more about what that means later. But uh, in, in in short, uh, th- that is uh, some level of validation. It's not final clearance, but it does show that there is some recognition, right, that this is uh, a groundbreaking technology. Um, I think really the decision to to to, to go after Vicarious um, is uh, is is kind of driven by uh, this sense that uh, you know surgery should be done better, right, and uh, and we've. Uh, spoken to quite a few surgeons, a number that have been spending time with Vicarious over the years, and uh, you know the question I ask every single one is, is uh, every surgeon is is, is very simple. Right? It's you know what did this look like uh, when you first started playing with it? What does it look like now? And how does that pace of improvement, um, you know, uh, jive with what your sense of what uh, innovation in medical robotics should be? And two. Um, do you see that kind of resulting in a product that you can you know, put into your operating theater and actually utilize uh, in the in the near future? And by and large, the answer was uh, it's improving much faster than we thought was possible. This is not the usual pace of innovation in uh, in in kind of this field. And then number two, uh, you know, each surgeon, um, what was re- really reassuring to me was they were able to identify specific reasons why. Uh, you know, this was, you know, better or would make their life easier, would be safer or would otherwise, you know, be just uh, more, more attractive to them in, uh, in their, in their practice. And so, you know, once, once you start spending time with kind of the people who are, uh, are, are doing complicated surgeries day in and day out, holding patients' lives in their hands, and they have kind of this sort of feedback, it, it becomes very easy to, to get comfortable that this is a, a product that people want and, and need. And again, you know, we, we want to make sure that, um, you know, obviously this is not a product that is on the shelves today and and, and being sold. Uh, but we want to make sure that there was a clear path to clearance and to a final product, and that there was no kind of fundamental, you know, physics constraint to uh, to the robot's capabilities. And you know, I'm 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 quite confident that uh, that through our diligence, you know, this is a, this is an execution story, not one of you know invention that we need to wait to to play out.
1: Awesome. So, you know, turn it over to you, Adam, you know, you heard Donald talk about it. What, what, what does that breakthrough designation mean? um, You know, going forward and, and how do we get
2: there? Yeah. So this is something that we're incredibly proud of. Uh, The, the breakthrough designation really means that the FDA reviewed in detail, what we're doing and compared it to everything that exists today. So that, that includes open surgery and, uh, manual minimally invasive surgery and robotic minimally invasive surgery that are used with legacy systems in operating rooms today. And after that review, they concluded, uh, based on the details of how we'll be performing the procedures, as well as the technical details of how our robot works, that we are fundamentally different in a way that is likely to lead to a major clinical benefit that will save lives and vastly improve lives. And because of this, and we're, first of all, we're, we're, we're the only, you know, robotics platform to receive a breakthrough designation. And it means that the FDA is uh, is committing to work closely with us to get our, our system, you know, through through the process, to verify that it is safe and effective, and to get it out to market as quickly as possible because of the incredible impact that it is likely to have on patients' lives. So with that, they're providing You know, everything from prioritized review pathways and FDA senior leadership being involved in our application from the beginning, uh, but also a bunch of reimbursement benefits, making sure that hospitals are adequately incentivized from uh, as soon as the day that we launch our system to adopt it and to use it quickly.
0: All right, I'm gonna go ahead up and jump in here, and I want to ask some questions based on the virtual reality side. So one thing that I definitely focused on is how VR is being adapted. You know, over the last five years, it's been kind of a little bit slower, but I really think that over the next couple of years, VR is going to be adapted quickly. And can you at least explain for us how virtual reality really works here for surgeries? Yeah, I'll think- first
2: I'll go to Adam. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> VR is, you know, it's uh it's an important piece of this. I'd say that, you know, the core innovations are really around making this humanoid robot, but the VR aspect of it really adds a level to this that that doesn't doesn't come without it. Right. It's that level of immersive, really feeling like you've been plucked out of the operating room and placed inside the abdomen of a patient. And uh, uh, frankly, kind of almost bizarre, uncanny way, especially when when you know, when you're actually using this and, and doing procedures, uh, uh, cadaveric procedures, it, it feels uh, it feels real. It feels like you are inside of the patient operating from the inside out and shrunk to exactly the size that you need to be to operate on the organs. You know, that being said, we're we're all familiar with some of the limitations of VR. It's actually the biggest limitation for us is just the fact that it is so immersive and sometimes a surgeon doesn't need to do incredibly delicate detail tasks. Sometimes they need to collaborate with the operating room. And because of that, we're providing both a VR display, uh, sorry, a 3D display combined with that head mounted VR headset. So you can choose to use either or switch back and forth during a procedure between the two visualization modalities.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a great addition there that you do have both. Uh, that's something that I, I didn't know until right now. So thank you for bringing that up, Adam. Um, that's, that was one thing that I, I, was, I was wondering, you know, not that many people are used to using VR goggles. So that's another thing to adjust to. Um, now let's go into the system. Okay, so to me this is really the the background, or like I like to say, the thing behind the thing behind your company and, and why I really see it. So the system, break down the technology here. Um, what would you point at is really important? And what really separates you from the rest here by using this system?
2: Well, so I, I think it's all important. It all cascades from those decoupled actuators. So by decoupling the the actuators, we were able to do We're able to have so many more joints. We're able to use half millimeter diameter advanced polymer cables to drive the robotic arms. Now that they're slippery because they're polymer, not stainless steel, we can then get away from having pulleys throughout the arms. We can move to a low cost disposable robot. And then because we have so much capability inside of the body, inside of the patient's abdominal cavity, we no longer are generating most of our motion by pivoting about the abdominal wall. So not only is that so much simpler to set up and so much more capable capable when inside of the abdomen, allowing the surgeon to operate anywhere from any incision site facing in any direction, but on, on top of all of that, it greatly simplifies the capital equipment. So our capital equipment is essentially not a robot. That's compared to legacy systems that are four gigantic robotic arms that are frankly high performance that create these large motions outside the abdomen quickly pivot about the abdominal wall, then create tiny little motions inside of the abdomen. Our system outside is just a, a non robotic support system that collapses down can be moved from OR to OR easily is just a workstation and a patient side cart with one cable connecting them. It fits through a normal door, enabling it to get into ambulatory surgical center settings. Uh, plus, it has incredible cost advantages. We're going from these four giant uh, high performance machines to one, you know, essentially non-robotic support. And the, the cost of goods is much, much lower, five, five to 10x lower than any system that's in, in uh, uh, than any of the legacy robotic systems that are in operating rooms today.
0: All right, I got one more question for you, Adam, here, and this is gonna be interesting for me. We've been talking about how VR is being adapted, but I think first really 5G comes into play for us as a consumer overall, you know, and, and so how does 5G play into your company and how is that gonna benefit?
2: Uh, it's, it's a really interesting question. I'd say 5G for, you know, remote placement and connectivity is will, will become increasingly important. That being said, you know a lot of hospitals across the U.S. and frankly across the world have excellent, you know, wired infrastructure with fairly low latency. So uh, o- overall, I think connectivity though is going to be incredibly important in operating rooms going forward. And there's, there's a lot of conversation around remote surgery, and I the the, the conversation's really been focused in the past around one surgeon in, say, a major city like, like Boston, where, where I'm based uh, and our company is operating on a patient in a remote location. But, you know, at the end of the day, not only does that have connectivity and, and security implications as well as safety implications if something goes wrong during the procedure, who's there to help? Uh, I, I do believe all of those can be overcome. But the, the problem that is very difficult to overcome is the fact that it really only helps one patient and that there's already a shortage of surgeons even in major cities. So we really believe that the real reason connectivity will be important, especially with a low cost, portable surgical robotic system, is to enable remote training and remote proctoring. Today, to learn how to do new procedures, surgeons will often travel to other surgeons' operating rooms to be proctored, to learn, to watch a procedure, to do a procedure uh, and, and, and practice. With our system, we're enabling the ability for a surgeon anywhere in the world to live remote proctor and assist a local surgeon so that they can learn how to do a complex, minimally invasive technique that they otherwise would have done with open surgery using our technology for thousands of patients in their community. And that's the real benefit of of remote surgery, connectivity, and and eventually 5G operating rooms.
0: All right, so I'm going to sneak one more in here and, and, and sneak one in here. So one of the things that I've been paying attention to, and and I know that it's it's, it's one part of the environment that we have right now with SPACs is really starting to pay attention to the multiples and the valuation. So that's what I wanted to point out here with our 8.4 implied multiple. And, and first, I, I'll go to Donald with this one. Was this part of the process when you were going ahead and determining which company you were going to go after? Were you looking at the valuation, the future revenues and, and how that came into your decision, Donald?
3: Uh, Absolutely. Valuation is one of the most important parts of investment, right? There's a wrong wrong price and a right price for everything. Uh, I would say, though, that in this particular case, we take a lot of comfort from two perspectives. One, it's just an incredibly large addressable market. The competition is open surgery, and that's 90 percent plus of of all procedures out there. And it's hugely invasive, hugely costly and takes a lot of time to recover. Um, and uh, and that cost is really what we're we're addressing, what we're trying to fix. Um, if there were a better solution out there, you know, open surgery wouldn't be the dominant for, uh, form form of, of surgery today. And that's really what we're going after. So I think the TAM is absolutely massive. That's that's number one. Number two, uh, if you look at kind of um, you know other uh, other 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 companies, they're developing their own platforms. And you know, obviously, I think the technology here is superior and uh, and differentiated. But um, in the private market, there have been a lot of companies that have been funded at very, very hefty valuations, um, again, because people understand the TAM is big and uh, and, you know, these are very robust levels. So in that context, whether it be from a revenue multiple perspective or just the absolute level that we're at, the enterprise value one point one billion, uh, it actually looks pretty, pretty, pretty compelling. I, I would also note that, uh, you know, I'm actually based in Hong Kong. Uh, I spent uh, most of my career in Asia uh, and. Um, now this is a, a part of the world that should be a, a massive market for uh, for surgical robots. The truth is, you know, even in the percentage of open surgeries that's been penetrated by surgical robots, uh, the penetration here is actually not uh, not uh, not great uh, because it's it's not that difficult, uh, you know, for a, a firm based in the U.S. dealing with the FDA to come in and figure out the uh, go-to-market strategy here. So we think we actually have a role to play in that as well, and uh, and that will just be you know a, a, another. Uh, lever that we can really uh, use to make sure that, uh, that the returns for for everyone is 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 good on this one so um, absolutely valuation is very important we care about valuation as well but I think in this particular instance we thought it was very very well justified awesome
1: so you know what one of the things we've noticed with uh, SPACs lately right is that you know people should be looking at them as you know growth stocks companies you know that may be a couple years out so, you know, Adam, I want to turn to the the timeline here, right? So we have a slide in that investor presentation that shows the roadmap. So if we're at the starting line there, twenty twenty one, can you just walk us through some of the key dates here, and, and you know why investors should be looking at this maybe a, a couple years out rather than a, you know immediate this year reaction piece?
2: Yeah. So you know, we've we've uh, created this this roadmap. And it gets us from, you know, where we are today to launching our product, shipping 100 units, and, and, um, and you know, well, well beyond. Uh, that's, you know, not on this slide, but of course is in our model. And separated across into, you know, the four categories that you see here, development, things like beta testing will be incredibly important. You know, we're, we're constantly gaining feedback from surgeons. And as we ramp that up, in larger numbers and, and more formally uh, with more hospitals, especially hospitals in our early adopter programs that we're creating that will be uh, uh, used in order to gain feedback to make sure that our our systems are perfectly designed for their hospital's needs. Uh, from, a, uh, to jump down to you know the, the middle there, commercial, uh, that launching those early adopter programs will be incredibly important both to show that this is worth, you know, the mindshare, time, operating room space, and capital of uh, surgeons and hospitals, as well as to to work with those beta programs, which is the purpose of, of all of that, in order to gain, you know, not only validation for us, but also feedback to ensure that our product is is perfectly designed and ready to use and ready to launch when we do. Uh, from uh, a regulatory standpoint, engaging the agency and getting the appropriate clearances and a growth standpoint, building out our existing facility in order to manufacture devices. So you know, I think the, the upside here and the opportunity is, is incredible. It, it, is, it is a few years out, but we'll have some really exciting and, and wonderful news that, that, that's going to be our, our, our privilege to share with, with the world over the next few years as we get there
3: i think it's uh if you don't mind uh I, I think it's also worth noting that uh this is a system that's been used in live animal uh, uh, labs as well as cadaver labs so it's not uh it's not kind of uh you know a design that exists only in 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 kind of a computer somewhere this is actually a physical product that's been used uh for for real procedures and so uh you know back to valuation we, we think this is actually uh, the right time to uh, for a company like us to uh, to be pursuing a deal with vicarious
1: Awesome. Great, great insight there, Donald. I, you know, Donald, you touched a couple times on the, the TAM, the total addressable market. I, w- I want to go back there. Um, you know, I know there's a slide in the investor presentation. There it is. We we've got, you know, this this huge TAM. Um, you know, so so Donald, as you did your due diligence in this company, you know, just talk a little bit about the, the total addressable market. And then also you touched a little on on international. National. If you can, you know, expand on that for us as well.
3: Yeah, maybe starting with international. uh, Very little of that is actually in the current set of projections. So this is uh, uh, optional, or this is uh, you know additional gravy if we're able to unlock it. But you know, something certainly that we're going to be working on part of the value add that D8 brings to the table here. Um, On 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 the on the addressable market and the procedures, um, you know, one of the interesting uh, comments that 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 you know, really stuck out when we interviewed surgeons and had some of our own kind of go and visit was that, uh, you know, this, this system and the projections that we have, it's really focused on hernia as an initial market. But um, the, uh, the, the feedback that I thought was uh, quite interesting was that a number of surgeons said, look, this is something you have to get into the hands of groundbreaking uh, doctors uh, because they will, you know, view this as a, as a new tool and they will be able to, you know, uh, dream up new ways of using it in procedures that just can't be done today. Um, and I, I, think that really, really stuck to me, uh, the, the sort of excitement that, uh, that surgeons kind of, you know, shared after, after trying out the, the robot and kind of this idea that there is actually a lot of white space out there that is yet to be, uh, figured out. And, uh, really this is a tool that will have more and more uses as people, you know, get more familiar with it and its capabilities. Now back to kind of just the initial indication of hernia, you know, there is uh, close to a million cases a year and a hernia, is, as you know, is an incision uh, from a surgery that doesn't heal properly. And of course. If you have hernia and you have surgery, that's another incision that you have to, you know, make to, to heal an existing one. Um, you can very easily see why, uh, for some hernias, uh, where it's, uh, uh too difficult to kind of, uh, um, um, uh, you know, operate on, uh, it may basically just doesn't make sense, uh, to go and and use open surgery for. So, uh, we think that's a, that's a pretty, uh, pretty strong initial market to focus on. It's, it's got, uh, a, a lot of revenue associated with it, but as, the robot develops as there's more tools. Um, there's just going to be more and more procedures that this can
2: be used to address. And I, I also think it's an important point to note that you know our roadmap here is essentially focusing on, you know, like like Donald was saying, focusing on those procedures that that competitors, uh, that robotic competitors ha- have not been able to successfully address. That's that's actually why we've been granted this breakthrough designation from the FDA, because the FDA has recognized that we are able to address and solve clinical needs in large procedural categories like hernia repair, where yes, they're addressed somewhat uh, with robotic competition, but not significantly due to incredible constraints and limitations of those existing systems. So as we view it, we're focusing on target markets where the market and the competition are open surgery. You know, the the legacy robotic companies, they've really only been able to tackle about 3.2% of the total market over 20 years, and they are growing, but at, at a relatively modest clip. We believe that we have an opportunity to, by focusing on procedures where they've struggled to uh, gain adoption, to, to gain rapid adoption with our clinical benefit, cost savings to the hospital, time benefits in the operating room, which are absolutely incredible uh, uh, against everything that exists today.
1: Awesome guys. I think that's gonna do it for, for the questions we have, but if you don't mind, we've got some questions here from the chat from, from our loyal viewers here. You know, we'll we'll try to get into some of these questions. So you know, we already touched a little on competition and you know the legacy providers. Uh, but we have a couple comments here, you know, from AJ and John talking about you know, big pharma companies already having robotics so you know, really, how how do you, um, you know, take on some of the, the competition here and really differentiate yourself, you know, technology cost wise, uh, if you don't mind, Adam?
2: Yeah, so so it all comes down to those decoupled actuators. Legacy systems are essentially a wrist on a stick. They take an average of 100 procedures to gain proficiency and learning how to use. And that's because the surgeon literally needs to design how to do the robotic motion. What, what you just saw on the screen, that's not even close to possible with legacy robotic systems. No, no system can can that exists in an operating room today can flip all the way back, work around the incision site. They also are are, you know, any single incision legacy systems are 25 millimeters and above. Ours is 15 millimeters, a normal, minimally invasive surgical incision the whole system is five to 10 times lower cost because we've miniaturized the entire robot. We are no longer using four gigantic robotic arms that are high performance outside the abdomen. We have a tiny little robot inside the abdomen. So the the differences just pile up and up and snowball in a way that, that are incredibly beneficial to the surgeon, to the patient, and and to the hospital. And again, that's why we've been able to achieve a breakthrough designation. So, you know, in a market this lucrative with this big a TAM, this big an ethical opportunity and mandate, there will always be competitors and, and incumbents, but the main incumbent only has a, a, about six thousand machines across the entire world after twenty years. That's because these things are, are millions of dollars, require construction and dedicated operating rooms, hundred procedures of training, etc. Our system is so much smaller, so much portable, lower cost, can be moved from OR to OR. It's that the, it, it essentially checks all of the boxes. There are maybe maybe a half dozen to a dozen things that I would say are wrong with legacy robotic systems in operating rooms today. There are a few competitors that check one or two of those boxes here and there. Uh, We've actually spent the last seven years redesigning from the actuator level up so that we can check every single one of those boxes and actually meet the demands of surgeons, hospitals, and patients for, for all procedures or almost all procedures.
1: Awesome. and then another question here from uh, AJ uh, asking about pre-orders. So any comments uh, you know, Adam or Donald on you know pre-orders um, existing or when we may start to hear more details on that front?
2: Yeah, so so you know we we have to be careful about exactly you know what what we do in, here because in the we are in a regulated industry, and the FDA has strict rules about, you know what we can and cannot do. Uh, that that being said, you know we, we can and certainly are bringing this to to potential customers all across the country in order to make sure that our device is designed perfectly for their needs. To make sure everything from the price point, the feature set, uh, the portability, the training programs, all of this works effectively for their surgeons, their ho- uh, in their hospital for their patients and. You know, by, by doing this, of, of course, you know, we, we can also generate and demonstrate interest, uh, a, a, as well as the potential for, for you know, some, some non-binding letters of intent from hospitals. Uh, but, but we do have to be careful and, and respect, you know, the limitations of, of what the FDA has set out and make sure that all of this is with the focus of making sure that we're designing the perfect system for surgeons, hospitals, and patients.
1: Awesome, you know, I, I got a second. all these comments from the chat, these videos are amazing. <laughs> the, those are killer robots. Wow. like these comments are just you know, awesome. that technology you know looks looks amazing. Uh, you know, when you can see it even on screen here, you, you know, so shout out you know to to this company and this deal. Um, you know, Donald. So I, I want to thank both of you for your time today. I know we kept you, um, you know, longer than anticipated. <laughs> you know, you answered all our questions. So, again, guys, joining us on the show, we have Adam Sack, the co CEO of Vicarious Surgical, and Donald Tang, the co CEO of D8 Holdings. Uh, company is going public via SPAC merger. The ticker is DEH. Thank you both gentlemen for joining us on the show
2: today. Thank you guys very much.
0: Yep, Thanks thank you, thank well. you. I just wanted to let you know they're comparing you to Da Vinci out there. So, just wanted just wanted to tell you a little bit from the chat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Got it. All right guys, you guys have I'd a great say, one. Thank I'd you for I'd say joining. they they should compare us to open surgery more than anything else. There you okay. go. Okay. There you go. Best comparison <laughs> for you. We there We go. That, Adam. Thank you guys. <laughs> have a good one.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right guys, well, you guys heard it first right here on the specs attack that's why we go into our interviews so definitely smash the like button like my man born free says hit that like button and hit the share let everyone know if they need to learn about this company that's really what it's all about guys it's what we're here for we're getting you that in-depth interview so that you can go out and do a little bit more research find when the valuation meets the price and go ahead and make your own investment decisions but what what do you think about an interview, Chris?
1: Yeah, you know, I I I like it. I love those videos. That that was great. Uh, you know, and the the keys here for me, right, are talking about you know market share and versus competition and how you know using robotics still very underpenetrated, right, with surgery. So you know, even with those competitors already out there, there there's a huge opportunity. And you know, based on their technology. And, and, you know, some of the, the new items that they're adding, I think they can take share from the competition, but also even if they don't take that share, they can just grow the overall market of, you know, surgeries using robotics. And, you know, I love the comment here from Donald. We, we do, we talk to so many SPAC companies, right, Mitch, where, you know, we want to know why, okay, why this company, And, and he said they sent their doctors they, they talk to doctors, right, about this technology, uh, about doing surgeries with these robots to find out, hey, is this a good investment, right? That's your due diligence right there. That's what we try to do as investors. But this is what SPACs try to do, you know, to bring companies public is what better than to get firsthand insight from, from doctors that, you know, could potentially use this device. That was a big key for me, you know, when Donald said that. Yeah,
0: I, I like how you know one of the things that he he mentioned is that really, I mean, the movements of the robot I think is what he really like signified separated. I mean, the incision, of course, the size of the incision. That's that's. I mean, if it's not being invasive, I mean, that's just it helps ten times for recovery for so many things. I mean, I mean, even just like scars. Even just scars from surgery. I mean, certain people will show you scars from surgery all, all through their torsos. So if you could do things like this, that's definitely a competitive advantage. I think the movement, the movement really stood out to me and how it can move inside and and do those movements which are needed. You know, one of the things I think that most people don't realize, I mean, is, is surgery is not easy. I mean, it just because it's done by doctors nowadays doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, and, and I, I think a lot of people think about this when they actually go into surgery. But, you know, that's that's one thing I'd mention is that I, I haven't seen like John Doe said, never seen anything move like that. Exactly. That's that's the same thing I'd have to state. Yeah. And, and, and the engineers they probably had behind that to figure out what kind of angles are really needed and beneficial. I mean, that's what that's what really for me throws it over the top. As in, I'll have to take a look at it and, and learn some more about when do these robotics really going to come into play so that I can invest in a company like this.
1: Yeah. You know, and again, this is a long-term play, right? You're, you're not going to see revenue this year. You, you know, this is a couple years away, but they do have that breakthrough designation from the FDA. So the FDA, you know, saying that the technology's there, you know, it's different from competitors. So I think that's a key advantage. And, you know, if they can stay on this roadmap, you, you know, and, and get this device made, I think they'll see strong interest from from hospitals and doctors because it's enough of a different product than that's already out there. And, you know, Donald being based in Hong Kong and, and talking the international opportunity, I mean, Mitch, you heard him say, right, that that's not even baked into those financial projections. So, you, you know, that's one of the things we keep talking with Specs, right, is, when you see these forward looking statements, right? You know, what's the revenue in 2025? You, you know, I think it's important for these companies to guide more conservatively, right? Because otherwise, we saw, you know, what happened with some of these SPACs where, where they issued guidance and then they've had to lower their forecast since then. For, for Vicarious here to be more conservative, to not bake in all the international projections, I, I think it's a strong play here. And I think five years down the road, you, you know, investors are going to be happy that that they got into a play like this. So that would be my opinion, of course, here. Um, you know, it looks like everyone in the chat really liked this interview and really liked that technology. So I think that's a positive too, um, you know, to see something different not out there.
0: Yep. I, I And I didn't state it, you know, just to give you guys the performa here, you know, 22.3%.
1: Yeah, that's that's a decent size, right? That yeah. DEH investors are getting. You know, we've seen spacs where it's less than ten, and here you have twenty two percent. Great point, Mitch. You, you know, and again, Bill Gates is invested in this company. You, you know, he was also invested in uh, Butterfly Technology, right? Which we've seen be a, a strong performer here. Um, you've got Eric Schmidt from Google invested. You've got Beckton Dickinson, right? One of the largest medical technology companies out there. They invested in the pipe, right? So strong names here, you know, that wanna see this device come out. So great point, Mitch. Shareholders, yeah, getting a a good size here. Um, You know, the future of this company uh, with DEH.
0: Hey, it's something you and I definitely have been paying attention to. It's how much you get at the company. Where the revenues, the fundamentals are starting to matter, guys.
1: Yeah, and that valuation, right? You talked valuation with them, and you know, 1.1 billion for this company. I, I don't think that's out of line at all. So, you know, this this isn't a five billion dollar deal being done for a pre revenue company. This was one point one billion dollars, and, and it's a huge total addressable market size. So I I, I like this deal, I like this company. Um, You know, I don't own shares now because I wanted to get through this interview. Um, But this is one that I'll be taking a look at, you know, for the long-term portfolio. Again, guys, that's important, right? Long-term outlook here, you know, for DEH, Vicarious Surgical.
0: Yep, yep. And and like my man, Carl, saying in the chat there, SPACs, guys, I, I really feel it. You know, it's like Carl says, like, these are the companies of the future. And so, of course, will there be some winners? Yeah, you can give me a thumbs up for that. Will there be some losers? Yep, you could probably give me another thumbs up for that. But at the end of the day, guess what? We're going to be here explaining these companies, going through the information, getting the interviews that you guys want out there so that you can make the infor- get the information and make your informed decision. I'm seeing that there's going to be some winners. Like just to give you an insight, I mean, uh, I think there's there's already been certain ones that we've already seen. But I genius sports to me is one that I'm definitely, I think, long term, no matter what. I mean, with these partnerships, the data they have available, the starting to show competitive advantage over sports radar. And and, and really, those are the types of companies that I'm looking at. Let's say uh, Jaws Spitfire and, and Velo 3D. You know, over time, I don't care what you guys tell me. Any To me, anything with SpaceX, put my name on it. Because I want it, I want it in my portfolio. Um, I used to uh, look at Maxar. Maxar, you guys know how much I'm a Maxar fan. But the biggest reason I was a Maxar fan was because the relationships also with SpaceX. And so those are the kind of relationships that I'm looking for. Um, I'm looking for the future, but really what we need to do is we need to look and see, okay, so a lot of times specs are given those those uh, revenues, right? And growth five years out, right, Chris? That's right. And so five years out, think about where this company is gonna be. We're no longer, we're not playing the, sh- the two week game because you want 20%. We're looking for those big gainers, but the biggest thing is that this is a, a long-term approach. And I think this is what's changed in the SPAC game. It's no longer just a trading vehicle. If you're here just to trade SPACs, I, I, I could tell you right now, it's gonna be tough, tough. But if you're here to invest, And you're here to stick around, learn about these companies, find out why I would want to invest in these companies. This is the spot to do it on SPACs Attack.
1: Yeah. And you know, Mitch, I I heard some of the conversation on pre-market prep this morning, right? Uh, Dennis talking about, you know, the the spy at an all-time high, what SPACs are trading at all-time highs. And, you know, it, it was hard to come up with names, right? Well, guess what? IPOs, same thing, right? Take a look at IPOs over the last year, Uh, Airbnb, DoorDash, Snowflake, Coinbase, Roblox. None of them are trading at 52-week highs. The market has punished growth, right? And IPOs and SPACs are companies that are going public because they're growing companies. Those stocks are not performing well. But again, if you have a forward-looking outlook, you know, the next five years, I, I think you're going to be you know, pleasantly rewarded. So again, for all the talk about SPACs getting hammered, it's not just SPACs, it's IPOs. It is also high growth names. So, and then also following up with Carl in the chat, one hour to go on tops NFT cards. That's right. Ticker MUDS. Keep an eye on that one. I know I'll be trying to get in line to get tops NFTs today. So hopefully, you know, if you guys want to get in line, Go ahead, but hopefully you guys don't keep me from grabbing one of those NFT packs. But if you do, so be it, because that's what we're about here on the show. But keep an eye out on MUDS the rest of the day as well, as those things are going to sell out, and that news will also get out there for the stock.
0: I'm going to let you guys know. I'm going to be looking at them also, Chris. I hope I can... Sneak a pack, sneak a card, whatever I may get. Uh, I'm going to be looking for it and, and we'll see if I could bring it to Money Mitch and show you guys what I got. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But really, Carl, shout out. Thank you for giving us the heads up. One hour to go, guys. Keep it on your radar. Keep it up, guys. And oh, it looks like. Todd, Todd, c- come to come to Money Mitch. We'll talk about Frontier Airlines. But definitely, guys, one of the things that we'll definitely be doing is reviewing also, let's say, SPACs that we looked at in the past and how they moved and developed. We talked about a lot, Chris. I think we need to go back to it, the waves of SPAC. A lot of SPACs are now going through what we call the valuation phase. And we talked about this. It comes into play once a company, especially once a company – Gets that merger through, and then de-SPACs and the next ticker is is on, and, and, and that's what we need to pay attention to because at that point, you can really start looking deeper into a company, deeper into their revenues, how the valuation uh, the valuation makes sense, and where the stock is going from here.
1: Yeah, definitely, it's all all about the cycle, and you know what we're going to be doing a couple shows. Hopefully soon, talking. What are some of the best long-term SPAC plays? So I'm excited about that. I'm working on my list. Um, you know, but I think you know that's what it's all about here, guys. Find the long-term winners, not not the one-day gainers.
0: All right, all right, guys. Up next, up next, we got the Power Hour. The Power Hour is going to be coming on, guys. And guess what, guys? There's going to be a special, special interview there, guys. If you guys know who Weeble CEO is, you just might see him on. So check it out, guys. That's going to be Power Hour. Anything you want to leave us off with, Chris?
1: No, I'm excited to watch that that Weeble interview. I had the pleasure of uh, talking to Anthony on the phone yesterday. To, to talk through some breaking news. So, you know, you don't want to miss this interview to hear more from Anthony and uh, Weeble.
0: All right, and they're live. So I'm ending it and head to the Power Hour, guys, where you guys could probably get that next stock that could be 10X. So don't miss it. That's going to be on the Power Hour. And like always, guys, stick with us. Specs attack.